there is a very special quality to Baroque music. There's an academic as well as a musical quality to the Baroque. In my ensemble, Ensemble uh, Quattrocelli, our group, we often have to consult manuscripts, handwritten manuscripts that maybe haven't been looked at for a very long time. We often have to program things with historically informed performance practice in mind. Uh, there's this research and academic quality to it as well that's so appealing to me. And um, again, I mean, the Baroque is, is immense. There's the Baroque of French and then the English and then the Italian tradition and then Bach, you know, the Baroque gods, Bach, Handel and Vivaldi, you know, which are just a small amount of, of how many composers and what kind of music came out of the Baroque period. Today I'm talking to Renate Benka, the soprano has a great love for Baroque music. Hi. <laughs> Good morning. It's so great to meet you here on Zoom, it's so, Renette. It's so nice to meet you too. Do I pronounce your name right, Renette? Renette. Yes, it's South African. I'm from Johannesburg, but I've lost my accent now. Oh, okay. <laughs> I grew up in the States and in England, so haven't been back home for a long time. Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because uh, Renette is is sort of a, a name that I know from South Africa. South Africa, yeah, oh. sure. So, um, so you lived in the States, you say? I lived in the States. I was born in Johannesburg, mm -hmm. and then we moved to England, and then to Argentina, and wow. then to the United States. And I've been in Vienna now for... A little over eight years now. So, and I think I stay here. Last, last country now. Oh, really? Okay. Well, then, then we we are here for almost the same amount of time because I came in two thousand and fifteen. Okay. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. 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 What a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. But what made you travel, and or, or your your um, family probably um, traveled around the world? What What was uh, what was the reason for that? My dad, before he retired, he was a structural engineer and he was in a very specialized field um, in regards to transmission towers. And he was just very in demand for his expertise. Wow. And so that took us just everywhere. And as a kid, it was really amazing because I was exposed to so many cultures and different languages and you know, being all over the world and seeing a lot. So it definitely gave me a very unique experience in my childhood, definitely. Yeah, I can imagine. And, uh, but your dad's an engineer and it's, um, uh, where does the the music come from then? Although I, I'm trying to prove that science and music and, and uh, sciences and arts and maths all come together so uh but but were they uh, sort of encouraging music for you they were big fans of music themselves especially classical music so i grew up always hearing opera and classical music uh playing all the time and they were both kind of hobby musicians my mom played the piano okay. for fun my dad played the guitar for fun but no professional musicians in my family at all wow and um, I had actually wanted to be either a doctor or, or a lawyer, more in this very traditional career okay. path. <laughs> um, so those things appealed to me very much as well. Um, but ultimately, I decided to, to take music a bit more seriously and study it instead. Yeah. 
But did you study from the start? Did you study voice or was there an instrument first? I started in my childhood with violin mm -hmm. and then with piano, but I, I don't think I took them very seriously. Oh, okay. And, um, and it wasn't until I was a teenager that I had always sung and I'd sung in, in choirs at school and um, that had always been a lot of fun. But I was about 15 and I thought, oh, I think I actually want to do this seriously. And I started taking voice lessons and, and really studying properly and being very committed to, to pursuing this professionally. So did you know what it would take to get into this profession? Did you then realize or did you get some help and say, okay, you, you'll have to do this and this and this to be able to be a professional singer? Mm -hmm. I, I had an amazing teacher in high school and where I studied um, in the United States, we had an amazing program with the local symphony that actually had provided music education to the schools as well. And so on Saturdays, we had a full day of music education. And then during the week, we would have our private lessons. And I had a wonderful, wonderful mentor and teacher who was very honest with me about what it what it would take and was and really set me up for how to prepare things properly, practice and study and learn music and and be competitive and and do these things. And she very much supported me into to the next step, which was then going to university. But I don't think anyone's really ready to know what the career takes till you're in it. You know, you can prepare yeah. as much as you want and study as hard as you want, but being really thrown in there with auditioning and preparing professionally is just, you learn by, by doing it. Maybe it's a good thing if you don't know everything before. Because <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I feel like I'm still learning some things, but yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's uh, now in, in America, of course, it's also uh, the, the system is a bit different when you go into the arts as well. But uh, what was the idea? Well, you said you were interested in studying medicine or becoming a lawyer. So what made this this choice then for you to go into music? Uh, I remember listening to Mozart's Requiem when I was about 15, really properly listening to it. I had I had kind of heard it. My parents had played a recording, but I remember taking their CD out and and listening to it from start to finish and something. It was a recording by Kahayan conducting and and something about this music, just something clicked in, in my brain. I thought, no, this is I want so much to recreate what I'm hearing. That is the goal of my life. And um, that piece became a very special piece to me. And I actually sang it for the first time two years ago, about two years ago. I did my wow. first Mozart Requiem in the Stefan Stone. This was like the highlight, oh, such a highlight yeah. for me to do this piece that had had really inspired me to, to take this step. So, yeah. Oh, that must have been very special. I think, yeah. Yeah. But, um, but now tell me your interest in Baroque, because you said to me you have a great interest in Baroque and uh, Bach. And uh, and I was so happy that you contacted me because I haven't spoken to many people uh, in the Baroque mm -hmm. genre of music. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what was it about Baroque initially that attracted you? Oh, I think, I think honestly, Bach, for example, found me. I didn't find Bach. Um, I kind of noticed that 
along the steps of my education and career, Bach was always there. The first piece I learned in university and my first professional job. And then I had a wonderful um, opportunity when I did my master's degree in America. I got a position as the soprano soloist in a Lutheran church. And the Lutheran tradition, Bach is extremely important to the Lutheran tradition because he was Lutheran himself and wrote an, an extreme amount of, of church music for the Lutheran faith. Um, and this church had a Baroque orchestra on staff, which is incredibly rare. And we performed very often the cantatas of Bach. And it was like a baptism by fire to really be thrown in there to prepare so much of his music in a, in a historically accurate way, which is very important to Baroque music. Um, and this Bach became kind of this begleiter <laughs> for me through, throughout my development. And then I, I realized how, how significant his, his music was to me personally. And through this, I learned more about, I mean, Bach is, he's not the entire Baroque um, at all. Um, but I developed an interest in other Baroque composers. Um, and there is a very special quality to Baroque music. There's an academic as well as a musical quality to the Baroque. In my ensemble, Ensemble uh, Quattrocelli, our group, we often have to consult manuscripts, handwritten manuscripts that maybe haven't been looked at for a very long time. We often have to program things with historically informed performance practice in mind. Uh, there's this research and academic quality to it as well that's so appealing to me. And um, again, I mean, the Baroque is, is immense. There's Baroque of the French and then the English and then the Italian tradition and then Bach, you know, you have the Baroque gods, Bach, Handel and Vivaldi, you know, which are just a small amount of, of how many composers and what kind of music came out of the Baroque period. But there's there's something about it, this focus not only on the music, but also on this this more intellectual academic component that really, really appealed to me that that I, I love. I love to throw myself into this, okay, we need to program something and mm. consider all the, the the parameters of performing this accurately and well um, that I just absolutely love. But how much is available? Because I spoke to a musician just the other day and we talked about improvisation and he said that the old uh, co uh, composers at many times improvised, you know, and um, so how much is available that you really accurately know that you're doing the right thing? <laughs> well, I think I think we know now, today, much more than we did even 50 years ago or so. I think we've done a lot of, we've made a lot of discoveries and there's been a huge amount of interest in um, historically informed performance practice through the likes of Nicholas Hanenkor um, or John Elliott Gardner or um, many other real Baroque specialists or Bach specialists um, that we know a lot, a lot more today. I could name many other great academic musicians who have dedicated their lives to just this field. Um, there is there is still debate <laughs> amongst all of us about what is correct or not in terms of how to perform or interpret some of this music. But there is a certain amount of freedom as, as a singer, for example, if you were to sing a da capo aria, so something where after the B section of the aria, you return to the A section, the beginning, and add ornamentation 
This is very free. And this was the tradition back then as well. And we are allowed to then add whatever ornamentations we want that really expose and show off what we do best. If it's high notes or low notes or more mm -hmm. notes or, or whatever, it's a really chance, to, a, a great chance to be very individual in how you interpret a piece. Sometimes we steal good ornamentations from, <laughs> <laughs> from other great artists. Um, I'll be honest, I do that sometimes too. But um, there is a an, an, uh, level of, of individual interpretation, which is this freedom is, is completely acceptable and, if, if anything, very accurate for interpreting this music. But I wanted to ask you now about this, uh, how much freedom there is, because when you talked about, you know, that you did accurately, you immediately think to yourself, okay, so it must be very strict and it must be very concise you know and um but beautiful that you can do that that uh, you know that you you have that freedom to do that yeah yeah mm -hmm. there's i mean there are certain things i think with baroque music that that are that should be done i mean for example performing it with baroque tuning which is we tune now and we have tuned uh, throughout history higher and higher and higher um and baroque tuning was about about a half step lower at 415 hertz. And we tune now at around 442, maybe oh, even okay. 443 these days, a, a modern orchestra. Um, so this is something that I think a lot of Baroque musicians would agree on. The most historically accurate thing you could do is perform with, with this Baroque tuning and on Baroque instruments. And with things like less vibrato in the voice or in the instruments to create a a purer sound and a cleaner sound. Um, you know, I wouldn't sing a, a Baroque piece with the amount of vibrato that you would sing for Verdi or Puccini or, or things that came later. Um, there's a very unique quality to to this sound that that I think a lot of people would agree is is the more accurate thing to do. But again, there's still even even among those things that I mentioned, there still is there is debate and discussion about that. Um, and, and also personal preference as well. You know, people, people bring their own taste into the, into the equation as well. Definitely. But how popular is it, is Baroque, you know, because a lot of people also don't know the real, like you study the music and you study Bach and you understand what he was trying to do. But, uh, do you think the, the average population do? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think it depends where you are. Mm -hmm. um, for example, in, in the Netherlands or in Germany or even in Canada, I have colleagues from Canada who are incredible early music and Baroque music specialists because there's just, for some reason, a wonderful tradition there of, of really excellent, excellent study and interpretation of Baroque music. Um, so that's that's a factor in Germany, for example. We, if we take Bach as an example, there is the Lutheran tradition in Germany more so than here in Austria. So you would, at a church service in Germany, you would more likely hear Bach than you would Mozart or Haydn, as you would hear in in Austria, where we have the Catholic tradition. Um, but but as for do people know about it? That's one of the reasons why my colleagues and I started our ensemble because we wanted. To, we noticed there was here in Vienna a bit of a lack of this kind of music, Baroque music done 
in a historically informed way in a small ensemble. And we wanted to create the not only the opportunity for ourselves to, to make that sort of music, but to provide it to an audience. Um, and we have tried to concentrate in our programming and in our in our work on not just presenting the very famous Baroque composers, but presenting works that are really rare and maybe haven't been heard since they've been composed even, or not for, for a very long time. Um, we did recently, um, we actually had a performance yesterday morning of works by Antonio Caldara, who was in Vienna in the Baroque period, a rock star. I mean, he was... Mm-hmm the most famous Baroque composer here in Vienna in the court. He was the Vice Kapellmeister. He, his music was played everywhere. Um, and today he's relatively unknown. And it's interesting. Yeah, I've never heard of him. Yeah. yeah, Not many people have other oh. than probably other Baroque musicians. Mm. Um, whereas, for example, Bach in his lifetime was not very well known at all um and he was really only known after his lifetime as uh as a composer and he was studied by other composers but he did not have this kind of fame that for example mozart would have had in his in his lifetime um and and now we see the opposite we see a composer like kadara who was just a huge star not many people know uh, and Bach was a, a church musician and composed for his church position, now being the you know one of the definitive figures of the Baroque. So we try to to do exactly that to bring Baroque music, both well known and rare, to an audience because it's incredible music. It's incredible music. It's wonderful for us to make, and it's even better to get to share it with with other people who who definitely wouldn't have heard it otherwise. So do you communicate this during your concerts? Do you talk about the music and talk about the composer? Yes, yes, we do. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Especially when it's something a bit less mm. well-known, definitely, yeah. Because uh, me as, as as a non-musician and not knowing anything, no, well, not knowing much about the, the music, and when I talk to musicians or conductors and they start talking about the music and they talk about the composer, you almost get this urge to go and listen to what they're talking about, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so important that uh, for people like me and and for I think m- most people are not really educated and and don't know the story. And but mm. you can the moment you start um, y- hearing about the person or the the composer or the the story behind the music, then you sort of get this. Um, attraction to it in a way yeah yeah Mm. absolutely so I think it's so important that you do that but how do you choose then the composer or wait how do you discover them Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um for us the most important thing is is this historically informed performance practice Mm -hmm. so we always try to first of all focus on picking works that were written or instrumented for what we have in our ensemble, which for us is okay. two singers and continuo. So harpsichord and Baroque cello. Um, so those are kind of the parameters we we work within. And so that's the first step is to find works that were written for voice and continuo. Um, and then we go from there. And there is actually a lot. There is our, one of our next programs will be a, a Handel program of really beautiful cantatas and duets written for 
bass, soprano, and continuo for these two instruments. Um, and Handel, again, more, more known, definitely more famous, more people have heard of him. Um, but Kadara, for example, we picked because he wrote so much for this instrumentation, for voice and continue. I mean, a, a huge amount. Um, so that's there are composers we, of course, want to want to perform. But that for us is the priority is always that we are following this historically informed performance practice and not breaking from these parameters and really performing the music in the way that it, it was composed. Um, we recently did, last week we did a performance at Bachzeit in Monsey, um, which is a Bach festival in, in Monsey. And we had the challenge of finding, we had to perform Bach, but finding Bach then that was written for just voice and continuo, because Bach often wrote yeah. with other instruments, with obligato instruments, with uh with many other factors. So we had to really then do some research. No, we have to stick to voice and continue and, and that's it. Um, and we ended up coming up with a, a lovely program, but that was sort of, that's sort of the first step for us always is, is making sure that we're accurately presenting the music that, that we choose. Now, if you sing a lot of uh, Baroque music, do you also sing other, uh, you know, other composers or, or from mm -hmm. other do you? Yeah, I do. I do. And I I studied opera as well. So I've mm -hmm. sung I've sung opera and I studied here in Vienna lead and oratorio at the MOOC. And lead is another wonderful tradition of music that's incredibly powerful and and brings me great joy to to present. Um and but it, those things uh, opera especially never I don't know, my heart really belonged to this, this repertoire and to, to concert, I would say concert repertoire in general, because Lida as well really, really makes me very, very happy. Um, but it, it is a different style of singing. You know, technically, you, ha you have to have technique for, for whatever you sing. But stylistically, Baroque music is just, is just different. Um, and there is Baroque opera as well, but even how Baroque opera is presented is very different. Um, and so for me, the, the appeal of this music was always that the, the music was more important, more so than my voice, the, the making of the music and the presentation of the music was more the focus than as an opera singer standing on stage in costume and in makeup and everyone's looking at you and that you, you know, you have to nail the high note and, and uh, everyone has, you know, 20 singers to compare you to who are famous and they've made recordings and, you know, that to me was, was always actually a bit nerve wracking and something about that Baroque music or concert music in general is, is about presenting the music before the voice or before the instrument as a whole. Okay. And that really appealed to me very, very much. This might sound very strange, but but you even have that look, you know? You... Oh, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. When really you nice. wrote me, I went on your Facebook and I thought, how amazing that you, you this this whole package you have it. But maybe it's that, that energy then that, you know that that suits you that it's you. part of your personality and so on thank you no that's very kind thank you thank oh. you and i mean i i love this music i would i would say you know we have in our ensemble our our harpsichordist paulina schmuda 
incredible harpsichordist and our cellist, even Bea Horzakraf, they are really Baroque experts. I mean, they really study mm. really. I mean, I, I defer to them for their, their, their opinion because they are really amongst, amongst our ensemble, really experts. I have studied Baroque music and I've sung a lot of it, but um, I, I will say that I, I feel like I, I still have so much more to learn and, and uh, discover in terms of, in terms of this. And, and I have so much admiration for my colleagues who really, really are incredible but, experts in but, this. But how did you get together? As an ensemble, it was during the pandemic. I think we were all a bit frustrated that nothing was going on and everything was cancelled. And I had had this dream for a long time of having a Baroque group. And something about the pandemic, I think I just snapped and thought, okay, well, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm not going to wait for the next opportunity because who knows when it's going to even happen anymore. Um, we, I think we all felt during that time, we had no idea when things would go back to normal. Um, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to just do it myself. And, uh, my colleague, Andre Angenent, the ba bass baritone of our group, he and I had studied together at MOOC and we had often spoke of our love of Bach. Um, <laughs> and so I reached out to him and I said, Andre, I really want to start a Baroque ensemble. Are you interested? And he answered immediately. He said, yes, I am, I am. And he said, okay, well, we need, we need, we can't just be two singers in this ensemble. <laughs> we need some more people. Do you know anybody? And I had studied with um, Nicholas Parle and Reinhard Führer at MOOC in, in early music and Baroque music. I'd studied with them. And, but I didn't know any of the instrumentalists who had studied in this department. I just knew other singers like myself. And Andre had done a concert with Paulina, with our harpsichordist. And I said, can you, can you ask her, would she be interested? And he reached out to her and she also was super excited and interested. Mm -hmm. And I remember the three of us met and, um, and we had a long talk. We met for a coffee and we had a long, long talk about, we had a million plans. And um, then we had um, an alto, a wonderful colleague, um, who ultimately had to leave the group because she went to went on to pursue her doctorate and had huge responsibilities with with uh, that obligation. And we needed a cellist. We needed, you know, for continuo, you need really harpsichord and cello. We needed a cellist, and and um, we looked and looked and looked and looked. And Paulina had then done a concert with Bea with our cellist, and she also asked her. Hey, would you be interested in me? I was also very interested. Mm -hmm. So we then formed our, our ensemble. And after all of this planning and these years of meeting for coffees and talks and, and writing down, we want to do this and I want to do this and this and this, we finally had a group we could work with and, and we all worked very well together. And, and then we finally, we finally were able to, to perform and, and Amazing. Spin so one. everybody, everybody had to be in this group because because everybody wanted to, was excited to do it. Yeah, and yeah. and I think we've become. They're not only really wonderful colleagues. They are. They make me feel so supported as a singer. But they've become wonderful friends, and um, we really have a wonderful time making music together and performing. And we all have our different energies, you know, which is also, I think, what works very well is we all have, you know, we bring something different to the table, and and um, that's that's it's just been a wonderful experience working with them. Well, this is also when I ask musicians about 
well, sometimes, you know, uh, playing in the band or being part of an orchestra. And everybody says this thing that it's so amazing to and also learn from each other. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like I said, I mean, Paulina and Bea are such experts for the Baroque. I mean, it's their their amount of knowledge is incredible as they've really dedicated their lives to studying this. And um, so absolutely the expertise we have, I've been so grateful for because, and, and I think we have a culture amongst us as well. We're very, we're very, you know, I, I, we're all very willing to hear feedback from each other, which is also very important. So if they tell me to, to adjust something or if we could try this or that, I very much trust it. And I think there's that trust as well amongst us. And it's been, it's been amazing. But you are all freelance. Yes, we are. We are all freelance in, in, in our own ways. And, um, and then we, as a group, we, you know, when we come mm -hmm. together, it's, yeah, we're freelancers together, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but it's been definitely nice now to see, you know, because we started during the pandemic, it's oh, been yeah. very nice now to kind of be on the other side of things mm -hmm. and see how things have kind of developed for us now that we can perform and, and travel and do these things. So, well, I remember when I did my project during lockdown, uh, when I, it's a pity I didn't get to you because I photographed artists in their windows and I could also see in that time how people formed ensembles and, and groups, you know, and, um, and it's for me so interesting to see which ones still are together, you know, and that they still continued. And I think lockdown has brought that about. I hear many times people tell me something happened during lockdown and, you know, that that was sort of this tragic time, but but something great happened from it. So I love it when when things like that happen. Yeah. You know, that yeah. this in this time where I know and, and many freelancers had a problem because they didn't have an income on, and they couldn't do concerts and nothing. And so it was a very unsure time. But then these things came from it. And I think it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I did too. No, it's been it's been wonderful. My I, I actually had children during this time. So I had twins. Um, oh, okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> 20 month old twin boys. Um, you might hear them in a minute in the next room. <laughs> 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 wrangling them. Um, but this was also a, a bit of a delay for me as well. Um, and I unfortunately had very serious complications. I almost died um, having my children. Very, yeah, unfortunate, very unfortunate um, situation. And, and this took also some time to recover from. So I felt like I had not only the pandemic, but then this these health issues. And then just motherhood in general, because, I mean, it's, it, it takes over your life, whether you want it to or not, especially in the <laughs> beginning, um, whether or not you planned that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I had all sorts of crazy ideas while I was still pregnant. I told my colleagues, oh, you know, two months after the birth, we're going to be back to working. And gonna... <laughs> what a joke. I mean, like I couldn't leave the house, let alone, you know, Ooh, <laughs> let, alone, let alone go rehearse and practice, you know, <laughs> but um, with twins. But um, yeah. my colleagues very patiently waited for me and supported me through this as well. And we're, we're very genuinely invested in, in that I was okay. And so I felt like I, yeah, like I said, not only did I have the pandemic delay, but then these other factors and we still, you know, maintained our goal, which was mm -hmm. to have a Baroque ensemble that performed Baroque works accurately 
in, you know, in Austria, in, in, in Vienna, presenting it in the way we wanted, performing music we Amazing. wanted in this way. So I'm so grateful that it's, that's a very good point because there were factors against us, so to say, you know, that, that we would have made it through as a group and, and we, we still did. And, and it's been really, really great. Well, I can just tell you, I also had twins. And really? I know exactly. Yeah. Oh my goodness! <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. This is <laughs> this is why when you say two months, I thought, yeah, no, that's not possible. Um, but this is uh, I I uh, uh, during this uh, the pandemic when I did this project of mine, I actually photographed um, a soprano, and she had a baby. Well, not a baby; it was a little girl, and she said to me that. And not a lot of people understand this uh, singing and having children, you know, being, well, she's in opera and, and it's this, you, you don't think of it when you see the singers or when you see even dancers, you know, to think, okay, but the, she's an, an artist, but she's also a mom. So how do you find this two, these two roles? Do you find it after your children easier to sort of, juggle or or do you find yourself more relaxed or chilled about things that uh, since you've been a mom that's a really nice question I feel now mm -hmm. that my priorities have shifted and I'm very much okay with that um because my children will always be the priority you know my family will always yeah. be the priority and that's something something happens in your in your brain as as a mother um that that it's it's not only this love that is so powerful and that you've never felt before and and this all-encompassing feeling but it it there's it's something automatic you know this reaction that happens it's something you, you really can't control um and i definitely feel i mean it took me because of these complications i it took me about a year just physically to recover and in that time it was really just about survival for me um and my husband was incredibly helpful he's very involved and as it should be i mean yeah. <laughs> um but he it was really the dream of his life to have children and he took six months off and um you know, was up every night and wow. changed every diaper. And, and he's still the same way. I mean, I, I get to sleep in the morning and he, he gets oh, wow. he's amazing. Um, and so, but the first year was really just survival, just getting through, you know, the daily routine, which you need with twins. You, you just have yeah. to have some kind of a plan. You have to have a routine, yeah. Um, that was just the focus. And I feel like you know whether I wanted it to or not that just kind of became my life and it, I definitely noticed after when it got a bit easier um I definitely felt that I'd lost myself a bit to this role to motherhood which I think a lot of women feel a lot of women feel yeah. okay, my identity is just gone I'm just mom mm -hmm. you know and and that was very difficult for me because even though my priorities had changed, I still wanted to have an identity as my own person. You know, I am a singer and I am an artist and I do have goals for my life and, and I would do anything for my children that they have what they want and they, what they need and they can thrive. But what about me? You know, and you feel yeah. that selfish. You feel very selfish for feeling that way and for thinking that way. We've been conditioned, unfortunately, to look at that as a bad thing. And I think I've come now to very good 
um, balance that I am a better mom when I have something for myself, whether that's time for myself, whether that's my career, whether that's my own interests, I'm able to come back to my children, children as a better mother when I also prioritize myself. And I had to, I had to learn how to do that. (laughs) I had to relearn how to prioritize any of my needs. Um, and that was totally to do with me because I had a, we have a huge amount of support. Our parents all live here in Vienna. Um, so we have, and my husband, like I said, is very hands-on, but I, like I said, something goes on in your brain that you can't control. And I put myself last just because I felt that I had to. And so my children are the priority of my life. Absolutely. And I, but, but I've learned how to also prioritize myself. Um, and I do feel a bit more chill about things, you know, I think now we've experienced life and death literally. And, um, seeing my children, you know, with what they discover or what they learn to do or what, you know, now they're talking so much and they have real little personalities. I mean, this, this for me is what's important. And so you get less worked up about the smaller things that maybe before I would have been more upset about or held on to, or, you know, I, I think I'm more able to let things go now because, you know, nothing is going to be as important as, as them. And exactly. What they need. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I think I think so too. I've heard also uh, ballet dancers say that you know that they they feel that way that oh well okay you know this is there's more to life or there's others other priorities and so on. Yeah. I had to laugh because one time I uh, did an interview with a, a principal dancer and she said that uh, she sometimes take that final bow and then then suddenly it hits her. Hey, I'm a mum. Yeah, I understand that very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, they're they're back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but Renate, um, tell me now, what is the wish for you? Oh, I, I want to have. A nice balance in my life between my family and my my career and my p- pursuits, and I want to continue making music that I love, um, in in the way that I that I want, you know, um, and with with these wonderful colleagues that I have, and um, but but balance is definitely definitely a bigger factor now, you know, and that's important to me, definitely. So. Yeah. That's so, and that that you know that we're all happy and healthy, and that's that's also something I learned from from this experience that I had. You oh, know, yeah. your, your health is the most important thing in the world, and the health of the ones around you. And and really, um, when it comes down to it, when it really comes down to it, you know, the things that you reflect on in your life are, you know, maybe not that you gave a bad concert or a bad audition, or <laughs> you know, yeah. didn't get the gig you wanted, or or. You know, these things that we spend so much energy uh, focusing on at the end of the day, really, really at the end, don't don't matter so much. So um, this having this balance and maintaining this balance definitely for me is the is the wish. Yeah, I think when you're so in this process um, and so busy, you know, and making and trying to get somewhere, then you also forget that sometimes, I think, and, and to just get things back into perspective. Yeah. But it was so great talking to you. You too. You too. Yeah. Thank you so much. 
And if ever you uh, have time for a coffee, let me know and we can have a chat. <laughs> I would love that. I would yeah. love that. Seeing that you're from South Africa. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know. Small world. Small yeah. world. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. But have a lovely afternoon. Thank you. And enjoy your babies. Thank you. I will.